I'm going to take just a few short moments this morning and try my best to connect two phrases found in two different passages of Scripture, um, along with three events that somewhat surround the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we're going to start with a passage of Scripture that you've likely heard if you've been around church uh, much or if you know much about the resurrection of Jesus, and it's found in Luke chapter number 24. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Before we jump into the Scripture, I'm going to kind of explain one thing before we uh, go any further. Today, this morning, I'm going to go back and forth between two different books of the Bible, uh, the book of Luke and the book of John. Luke was written by a physician. John was written by one of Jesus' closest disciples. And uh, they're both considered gospels, which means they're two separate accounts of the same story. And so John may share some details that Luke doesn't share, and Luke may share some details that John doesn't share, but we're going to reference some of the same stories today from a couple of different books of the Bible, and I didn't want you to get confused if we jumped back and forth and not understanding where we were, but we're going to start in the book of Luke, chapter number 24, and we're going to start reading in verse number 1. Luke says, on the first day of the week... Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. There's a group of women after Jesus had been crucified and he had been placed into a tomb. They were going on the third morning to anoint his body with spices, as was customary in their day. Uh, the day before was a Saturday. He would have died on a Friday, and that Saturday was a Sabbath, and so they would have done no work according to the law that they lived according to. And so this is now Sunday morning, and they're going with spices to prepare Jesus' body. Verse number two, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering... About this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Will you say with me, living among the dead? I think we can do better. Living among the dead? That's what I've titled today's sermon. Verse number six, he is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words, and when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, those were his disciples, and to all the others, it was Mary Magdalene. Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with him who told this to the apostles. Mary Magdalene is who I'm going to focus on for a few moments this morning, was one of at least three women who went to the tomb and saw that the stone was rolled away and Jesus' body was removed. Now, because we know the Easter story, we would initially think that this is a reason to rejoice, that these women would have known that Jesus was alive, but that's not the case. And we're going to look at a different account in just a second to understand it. But before we go there, let me go to a different passage of scripture. And this is um, John chapter number, actually, yeah, John chapter number 11, verses 24 and 25. John chapter number 11, verses 24 and 25. Martha who was the sister of Mary, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Let me give you some context here. Martha and Mary had a brother named Lazarus. 
They sent for Jesus to come and heal their sick brother, but Jesus didn't get there before he died. So they have now lost their brother Lazarus, and they have buried, they have put him in the tomb. And so Jesus shows up after Lazarus is dead, and Martha goes out to meet him, and she's basically saying, I wish you could have gotten here sooner, because you could have done something about it. But then she makes this incredible statement of faith and says, even now, though, I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. And so then she answered and she said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day because Jesus makes this statement to her next. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Say this with me. Live even though he dies. Live even though he dies. Living among the dead. Living among the dead. Live even though he dies. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to learn from your word and to hear this incredible story and the impact that it has and the potential that it has for our lives. And I pray today that you would give us ears to hear and I pray that you would give me words to speak. In Jesus' name, all together we said, amen. amen. So a group of women goes to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body to honor him and his death. If you've ever lost a loved one and have gone to a graveside, have gone to visit uh, a family member or a friend who has passed away, you know that there are emotional ties that go with these trips. These women weren't excited to go this day. It was a task that needed to be done, but by all means, they would have been still in a grieving period. Only days before, they had lost Jesus, whom they loved dearly. He was their leader, and they followed him, and he meant the world to them. And unbeknownst to them, he was taken from them. They thought that he would rule the world in a physical, kingly way, but he was taken from them, and they were grieving. They were in shock. And so they go to the tomb, and lo and behold, the stone's been rolled away, and Jesus' body wasn't in the tomb. And you can imagine the frustration that that would cause. The book of John gives us a little more detail into this account. In John chapter number 20, I'm going to start reading in verse number 10. And John says this, the disciples went back to their homes, okay? So the women have seen that the stone is rolled away. They have gone back to share with the disciples. The body has been removed. They're not celebrating, they're grieving. They're saying someone has stolen the body of our Jesus. And so the disciples come, and you'll remember the story if you're familiar with it, that Peter and uh, more than likely John ran to the tomb, the empty tomb, and they looked inside and saw that Jesus weren't there. And it says that they believed that Jesus' body had been removed and that he was missing. And so now the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, Mary Magdalene, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And listen to her response. She's not excited. She doesn't believe that he's been raised from the grave. She believes that someone's taken him. And she says, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Verse 15, woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. 
She was in such distress that she sees a man thinking that he's a gardener, not recognizing him as the resurrected Jesus. And she says, sir, if you have taken his body, if you know where he is, please just let me know and I will go and get him. And you can just feel the disappointment in her words. You can feel the the low place that she has found herself in as she was going to honor Jesus and finds that he not only has been taken from her in a sense of life, but his body has now been removed and she can't even honor the place where he once was. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher, because just hearing her name is when she realized that she was now standing face to face with the living King Jesus who had conquered death, who had conquered the grave, who had defeated death once and for all. And it was in those moments that she likely would have remembered that Jesus had said, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, he will live even though he dies. Such an incredible story, such an incredible display of God's power in the earth that he would not only sacrifice himself for us, that he would not only die a brutal crucifixion death, which was a Roman's torturing death as punishment for a crime that he never committed. Not only did he love us enough to die for us, but he was powerful enough that on the third day he rose back to life bringing hope not only to Mary and the disciples, but to all mankind, because now we know that we serve a living God. But you know, I want us to to learn a little more about the story of Mary before we just accept these words and just move on about our business. Luke, I mean, John chapter number, actually Luke chapter number eight. Listen to what verses one and two say. The account. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, those were his disciples, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. So, this lady who is going to honor Jesus has history with him. She doesn't just hear about this man that died on the cross. This is a woman. This is a lady who had had direct contact with him. This is a lady who had lived a sinful life and who was filled with evil spirits, who Jesus had delivered her from, who had set her free from. This is who we're talking about when we're talking about Mary, who is distressed that the body of Jesus has been stolen from the grave. But you know, if we back up, Just a chapter earlier in Luke chapter number 7, verses 36 through 50, we're going to read the account of a woman. And and to be honest with you, there's some speculation as to whether or not these two stories involve the exact same lady. But I believe that there's evidence enough in Scripture for us to make an assumption that this would be the same character that we're talking about here. And in Luke chapter number 7, we see a group of men called Pharisees who had invited Jesus to a dinner. And in the midst of this dinner, in a city called Bethany, which, by the way, is where Lazarus was when Lazarus died, and Jesus went to Bethany, and there was Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. And so Jesus spoke to Martha first, and then he spoke to Mary. 
It was in Bethany. And so Jesus is in Bethany in Luke chapter number 7. So we can assume that it's probably the same lady. A lady named Mary comes in and interrupts this dinner with these religious leaders. Some accounts of this story in the other gospels say that the disciples were present in the room. And this lady comes in in the midst of this dinner and she begins to cry and she began to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and she began to wash his feet with her hair and she began to anoint him with expensive perfume. Different accounts in the gospels let us know that this would have been a costly sacrifice for her, that she would have taken a costly fragrance. She would have taken a prized possession. She would have taken this perfume and she would have poured it on the feet of Jesus. And with her tears and her hair, she would have washed his feet as a way of honoring him and worshiping him. And people didn't understand it. People criticized her for it. People said she was squandering something that was valuable on something that was wasteful. But Jesus had some words to say. And I want to skip over to John chapter 12 to John's account of this event and hear Jesus' response. John chapter number 12, verse number 1. This is what John says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Again, we're in Bethany where Lazarus was resurrected by Jesus. Where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Listen to Jesus' response. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. A fragrance that was intended for Jesus' burial just eight days before she found his body removed from the tomb. She brings an expensive perfume to anoint his feet. A lady who had been delivered of evil spirits, who had been rescued from a lifestyle that was disgraceful and frowned upon among men, is now humbling herself. She's embarrassing herself. She's humiliating herself in front of honored guests to wash Jesus' feet with the very fragrance that was intended for Jesus' burial some eight days later, unknown to her. Now let's go back to Luke chapter number 24. I'm sorry, I'm skipping around. Actually, John chapter 11. And let's look at verses 1 and 2 just to make sure we're still on the same page. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You see all the pieces connecting here. Some would speculate that perhaps these were different Marys that found the body of Jesus removed and the Mary that washed Jesus' feet, but we see that Jesus makes a statement to a family 
where he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And a lady named Mary washes his feet with a perfume that was intended for his burial. And literally the next chapter is when Jesus makes his triumphal entry, which would have started Passion Week. And so literally eight days later, Mary would have gone to the tomb of Jesus to prepare his body. And she would have had other women with her, and she would have found the body of her Lord missing, stolen. And an angel would say to her, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you expect to find the risen Jesus among tombs, among graves, among a place where death resides? And see, I have this feeling that, like Mary, many of us have a perspective of Jesus that's based on the crucifixion. It's based on his death. We've heard the story that Jesus loved the world, that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we've heard that Jesus died a crucifixion's death and that he was tortured and he was beaten and bruised and he was mocked for you and for me. And then he hung on a cross and he gave his life and he proclaimed, it is finished, bringing redemption for all of mankind's sin. And for many people, I'm afraid that the perspective that we have of Jesus ends with the crucifixion. And I would venture to say that all across this nation and all across the world on Easter Sunday, we have people who more so than any other week of the year commit to going to places of worship to visit crucified Jesus. You say, I'm not going just to visit crucified Jesus, but I feel as though that there is a demographic among our nation, which is such a Christian, knowledgeable nation, that we know the story of Jesus, we've heard the story of Jesus, we even believe that it happened, but from time to time, when tradition holds forth, we will come and visit the graveside almost. We'll come to pay our respects, we'll come to honor Jesus for the sacrifice that he paid for our sins and will show up out of respect for the day and for what it means. And what I wanted just to challenge our hearts with today is this reality that like Mary, if we come to visit the grave that holds a crucified Jesus, we will not find him. Because he is no longer dead. And though he died for us, and he died for me, and he died for you, and he gave everything and paid the ultimate price and was laid to rest, if we come to visit crucified Jesus, we're out of luck this morning because he's no longer in the grave. And we may come to pay our respects, and we may come to honor him for what he's done, and we may have come with fragrant perfumes and spices to prepare his body out of respect. But this morning, I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you, and that's that Jesus is no longer in the grave. And there's no opportunity for you simply to pay respect for what he's done and the sacrifice that he's given because he is this morning coming to meet us in our despair, in our low places, among the dead places of the world. 
And he's come to say, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? And if we're honest with ourselves, we could name a lot of things that we're searching for and a lot of things that we're looking for to find peace in life. And we can name a lot of things that would fill the void of a tomb that would be full of things that we would come to pay respect for or want to honor. But until we hear the words of Jesus when he calls our name, we don't realize that the perspective that we had is skewed that we don't have an opportunity to simply honor a dead Jesus, a crucified Jesus, as great as that sacrifice was for us. He isn't dead any longer. He's not in the grave anymore. And the spices that you have to honor his body won't do you any good because he's alive. And not only is he alive, but he's alive so that you can come to life. And just like he said in John chapter 11 to Martha, Ironic enough that he would only verses later speak into a grave and command a dead body to come to life by the name of Lazarus. He would speak to Martha and say, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, even though he dies, will live. You're going to die one day. I'm going to die one day. We're all going to pass away. Earthly speaking, we're all facing death. We're closer today than we've ever been to our last breath on this earth. But there's good news. As even though death is imminent for you and it's imminent for me, we serve a King Jesus who's conquered death. And he's come to us to call our name and to ask us if we'll see him not as a crucified Jesus who loved us enough to give us life, but to see us beyond that as a resurrected King Jesus who offers life for us that will keep us from death forever. And this morning, I simply want to ask you, are you living among the dead? Or are you in a place of life that you would say there's not much life when it comes to knowing Jesus and who he really is. I'm going to actually ask the band to come forward at this time, and we're going to sing a song in just a second. Let me just give you some instructions before we sing that song together, before we enter into a moment that could potentially change your life and potentially change my life forever. How do you know Jesus? Who is he to you? What does he mean to you? And is the extent of who he is to you based on a crucified Jesus? Do you just recognize that he loved you? Do you just recognize that he gave his life for you? Do you just recognize that he was brutally beaten and tortured for your sake to offer you an opportunity to have a relationship with you? Do you just know him as crucified Jesus, or have you experienced him actually calling your name and revealing himself to you as the resurrected King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And the good news for you this morning is that there is available for you, not just a king that loved you enough to die for you, but a king who loved you enough and has powerful anointing enough to raise from death to life. And this morning, there's opportunity for you 
to know resurrected King Jesus. And what that means for you is that if you'll believe that he is the resurrection and the life, that you can live even though you die. We're going to sing this song, and this song is going to speak to our ability to come to Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus isn't such a distant God that there's a difficult path to get to him. Jesus isn't such a faraway God that we have to cross lots of ground to get to him, but there's actually an opportunity for us just as we are in this very moment, in our very condition, to come to Jesus and experience new life in him. And we're going to sing this song that simply says, Jesus, I come. And I want you to do me one favor as we sing this song. You can stay seated. There's no need to stand and sing or participate, even though you're more than welcome to. In this moment, what I'm going to ask of you is that you would ask yourself a simple question. Have I met resurrected Jesus? Have I received new life in him? Am I confident that Jesus for me isn't just crucified Jesus, but he is resurrected Jesus who offers me new life, and I have known him for that? And then I'm going to come back after the song and just give you one quick challenge, and, and then we'll end our time together. But as we sing this song, would you just, would you just reflect on how you know Jesus and what he means to you and who he is to you. Think about this story that jumped out to me this week that I had never really focused on, that I'd never really given much attention to. Is that Mary and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, who likely would have been Jesus' brother James, so Mary's Jesus' mother, would have come to the tomb with a false understanding. Meaning they didn't fully understand the moment. They came with a purpose to see a crucified Jesus. And the very resurrection of Jesus was offensive to them because they didn't understand it. They thought someone had stolen his body. They thought someone had tampered with someone they loved. They thought that someone had disrespected him. And the very thing that should have made them rejoice was the very thing that frustrated them. Even, even Mary, who had evil spirits cast out of her by Jesus himself, came to Jesus and didn't have everything figured out. She didn't get it fully. She didn't have everything together. If she did, she would have come with a smile on her face saying, he's resurrected. She didn't. And this morning, the good news for you is that you don't have to have everything figured out to come to Jesus. You don't have to know everything and all the right answers, and you don't have to fully understand who he is and what he's done. You just have to be willing to come. You have to be willing to take a step toward Jesus, and you'll hear him call your name, and you'll experience something through Jesus that far surpasses any knowledge that ends with the crucifixion of Christ. And that's that there is new life available in him for you and for me. And this morning, if you're here and you've never experienced that new life, you've never taken a step to come to Jesus and you've never met resurrected Jesus. 
He's here this morning, and we've been praying that you would hear him call on your name. And this morning, you would meet the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords who offers new life in him. So no matter where you are in life and what your history with church is or how much you know about the Bible and the story of Jesus this morning, if you've felt Jesus pulling at your heart, if you've felt as if you want to experience a new life that Jesus offers, I want to give you a simple opportunity to respond to that call in your life this morning. And this is what that's going to look like very simply. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, I'm going to ask you to stand redeemed in him like we just talked about. And if you're here this morning and you feel as if I've never made a decision to come to Christ just as I am and allow him to bring me to new life in him, and today is my day to meet Jesus. Today's my day to surrender to him. Today's my day to be made alive in him. Then when I say three, I'm just going to invite you to stand to your feet. And all over this room, you're going to find people are going to begin to cheer for you because the heart of our church is that people would know Jesus and the power of the resurrection and the fullness that he has to offer us in life. If that's you, you know who you are. You have that feeling inside that something's drawing you. I'm going to ask you not to look around and wait for someone else to stand because if no one else stands, then maybe this is just for you. But if you'll stand this morning, there's new life available to you. On the count of three, just stand to your feet if that's you. One, two, three. Anybody else? Anybody else? Say, that's me.